Genesis 6, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to look at the first eight verses uh, here. And so uh, tonight we'll be exclusively, almost exclusively in Genesis 6. The Bible says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. They were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which are of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that Every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, and he repented, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from, from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The title of the message this evening is this, How I Got Here, How I Go There. How I Got Here, How I Go There. The message tonight will, in large part, be about personal choices and decision-making. Let's jump in tonight. Lord, uh, we pray that you would meet with us, that you would put your finger on uh, things within our lives individually. Spirit of God, you know But on a regular basis, I talk to you about this. But Lord, it's difficult to preach a sermon that relates to everybody every time. In fact, it's impossible. But God, Spirit, Holy Spirit, I know that you can take any particular sermon and you can make applications to individuals' hearts. And Lord, you can lead them and guide them into truth. And so Lord, tonight, as I preach broadly and generically, I pray you would make personal specific applications to each one's heart. Help us to leave here, Lord, determined to make choices that please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin the message tonight by asking all of you a couple of questions. And I want you to suppose as though it's just me and you, and I'm asking you this question directly. Question one. Ten years ago, if I could have put you into a time machine and showed you who you are today, would you have been happy with what you would have been seeing? Ten years ago. Put your, think back to who you were ten years ago. There's some ten-year-olds or nine-year-olds in the room. Like, I wasn't even alive yet. Right? But to the adults in the room, go back ten years. Think about who you have become over the last ten years. Is that good? Would have you been satisfied? All right, question two. Where do you want to be in ten years? I'm not talking about geographically per se, although that might apply to some of you. I mean spiritually. Where do you want to be in ten years? Place in life. Where do you want to be in ten years? What are your goals in life? Or some of you may be home ownership. It may be retirement. Uh, I, I, I don't know what it would be for you specifically, but where do you want to be in 10 years as a Christian? 
How about in five years? How about in five years? Where do you want to be in five years? How about one year? A year from now? Twelve months from now? 365 days from now? How do you want to be different, and I mean better different, than the person you are today? Eleanor Roosevelt worded it this way. She said, once philosophy is not not best expressed in words, it is expressed in the choices one makes. She went on to say, in the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die, and the choices we make are, are ultimately our own responsibility. The choices we make are ultimately our own responsibility. Can I put that another way? You can't blame others or your past circumstances for who you are and the mistakes you make. Can't do it. You can't do it. You don't get to continue to point backwards at other people. At some point, you have to own your own choices. Listen now, you you cannot always control what people or circumstances do to you but you do get to control how you respond. You don't get to control uh, what others do to you, but you do get to control how you respond. There's a point in the Rocky Mountains where raindrops fall ever so close together. However, those falling on one side of the ridge flow westward toward the Pacific Ocean, And those falling on the other side of the ridge flow southeastward toward the Gulf of Mexico. The raindrops fall so near each other, but wind up so far apart. They fall so near each other, but wind up so far apart. People that sit on the same pew and live in the same town and have access to the same Bible end up in two entirely different places based on the choices that they make. Tonight, we're going to look at the people that brought God to the place of choosing to destroy mankind with a flood. We're going to look at their choices and see why why their decisions brought about God's hand of destruction on mankind. We're going to contrast those people with Noah and, and, and see how Noah made his decisions. Grew up in the same circumstances. Grew up in the same culture. Grew up in the same environment. But Noah and his family were saved by the boat, by the ark, and everyone else was destroyed. Why was Noah saved and everyone else destroyed? Because of choices Noah made and choices that everyone else made. Some of you here tonight may not like where your decision making has gotten you. Tonight, I hope you can see what it is that has gotten you where you are and what, we, and what you will need to do to get where it is you are trying to go in life. Your choices have gotten you to where you are. Can I, can I just say this quickly before we get into point number one of the message? Sometimes people do things that alter the direction of our life. Sometimes Sometimes, especially in our early developmental stages, abuses can happen, wrongs can happen, that greatly alter who we are as a person today. But can I just say this? Whatever's happened to you in the past and who you are today 
you will become an environment of the choices that you make, not based on what other people did to you. Maybe a harder path for you than someone else who's grown up with an easier path. I just said this recently to someone just a few minutes ago. People with a silver spoon in their mouth oftentimes do nothing with their life. People who had it really hard growing up oftentimes are the ones that become the greatest success stories. You know why? Because somewhere along the path they decided they weren't going to let the, the odds stacked against them, the abuses and atrocities that had happened to them, they weren't going to let that write the story of their life. They were going to overcome and they were going to be better than what had happened to them. Now, i probably more in line with the silver spoon in the mouth, if I'm being honest. Grew up in a home with a mom and dad who loved me and took care of me. I wasn't abused as a child growing up. Had it pretty good. I've had some hardships in my life, but not in my childhood. And my hardships compared to someone like Brother Vara who fought cancer, I, I can't compare. He was on death's door. I've never been there. And I, we could pass a micro, microphone around the room and have everyone share the hardest hardship they've gone through in their life, and boy, we'd all be in tears by the time we got through going around the room. Life has handed all of us at some point a, 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 a sour... Uh, it, life has been sour toward all of us at some point in life. I'm not going to let that define me, and I hope you won't let that define you. Instead of pointing the finger at everything else and everyone else as to why you are who you are, it's time we own up and say, I had no control over what other people did to me, but I do have control over how I respond. And I do have control over how I move forward. And I do have control over who I become. How I got here, how I go there. I believe that in an immoral and godless world, you can seek God and you can raise a family to do the same. You don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. Rather, you can rise up and make something beautiful out of your life. We're going to look closely at Genesis 6 this evening, and we're going to look at several thoughts about choices and getting where it is that we want to go. The sermon tonight will be broken up into two segments. Notice segment number one, choices that bring grief. Choices that bring grief. And let me give you several thoughts here below choices that bring grief. Grief. Number one, their choices were void of God. Their choices were void of God. Look down at Genesis 6 with me again in verse number one. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives um, of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit should not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be in 120 years. They were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Look at uh, the end of verse 2, and notice the last two words of verse 2. Notice it says, they chose. They chose. Their choices were void of God. And I have 
a couple of areas here to show out of these verses how their choices were void of God. Two in particular. Notice first, bad marriages. Bad marriages. Um, uh, who were the sons of God? All right. Some have argued that the sons of God here in Genesis 6 were angels, and I can't definitively say that they weren't angels. I, I would personally, theologically, lean away from the thought that the sons of God in Genesis 6, 1 here uh, were angels. I, I would lean more toward uh, the theological position that these were possibly the sons of Seth. The sons of Seth, you know, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel and Cain murdered Abel, and then uh, they had another son named Seth, and Seth did that which was right in the sight of the Lord as far as we know. And so uh, who were the sons of God? Again, they could have been angels. I'm not going to say that, uh, uh, wholeheartedly say they weren't, but uh, I would lean toward these sons of God being uh, folks who were raised in believing uh, that a coming Messiah would happen. These were people who were born anew into a family of God and uh, believers in God. And what did they do? They turned to... And, and, and married the daughters of men. Well, who were the daughters of men? Quite possibly the daughters of men were the daughters of Cain. You see Cain raising his family in a way that would displease God and Seth raising, raising his family in a way that would please God. And one day, one of Seth's uh, uh, descendants looked over at one of Cain's descendants, and the two should have never mixed. The two should have married, uh, never married. Seth's descendants were believers in God. Cain's descendants were believers in uh, humanism and secularism and all that which was sinful. And an unequal yoked marriage came apart, and that led to another and another and another. Instead of marrying someone who would lead them into righteousness, they began to marry people who would compromise their values. They made choices that were void of God. I have uh, counseled my share of young people over the years that are dating a young person who is not a believer in Christ. They're not serious about the Lord. They're not concerned about going the same direction spiritually as uh, uh, they know they ought to go. And they're falling in love and they want to get married and they come to me as a latch-ditch effort to try to get pastor's approval on going forth with the marriage. And I take them to 2 Corinthians where it says that you're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You know what? When you're in love, you just kind of roll your eyes to that verse. But I'm going to tell you, years later, if you marry that person and your kids get old enough to start going to church, boy, you're going to wish you had been thought, thought through and considered uh, making God part of your decision making. How I got here, how I got here. You uh, end up with bad marriages. You end up with a broken heart. You end up in a bad Place. My friend, today, if you're single and you're uh, watching online or you're sitting in the room and you're not married, do not, do not, do not intermingle with someone romantically. Don't even play with the fire of dating someone romantically who is not in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Choices that bring grief, they're, uh, they're choices were void of God. Let me give you another example, not only bad marriages, but a backward mentality, a backward mentality. Uh, they had a end justifies the means attitude or situational ethics. And what happens when godless leaders make choices that are void of God? What happens is they lead the next generation to do the same thing. And we see here they've cycled and cycled and cycled in Genesis 6 away from God to where even the imagination of their thoughts was only evil continually. 
Yes, their children were renowned. The Bible says they were men of renown. That means they were impressive human beings. They were impressive. They were tall in stature. They were powerful. Uh, They were smart. They were uh, great. We just uh, came back from Peru, and one of the things that we saw there uh, in the Inca world, uh, where the Incas had built up their kingdom, is they were able to uh, melt down rocks and reshape them to where they had them so close together, you can't even slip a piece of paper between them 500 years later. We don't know to this day what technology they used to do that. Now, I want you to uh, just uh, to theorize with me here for a minute. Uh, back before the flood, people lived to be eight, 900 years old. If we had had Albert Einstein alive for 900 years, what would have he come up with? You see, the gene pool was even purer before the flood than it was when Albert Einstein came along, and they lived a lot longer. What kind of technology did they develop before the flood? How advanced were they? How impressive were they? The Bible says that the sons of God came in under the daughters of men in these marriages and they had babies. And these babies were men of renown. And by the way, they had a backwards mentality because their attitude was that if we can make a population of people that are far superior, then we win. Yes, they were rich in money. Yes, they were rich in looks. Yes, they were rich in strength. Yes, they were rich in and fame, but these were a people that were spiritually and morally bankrupt. They had it all backwards. They had a backwards mentality. God ultimately destroyed them because of their godless choices. They chose for themselves husbands and wives, but they did not consider God's will on the matter. Number one, we see choices that bring grief. Their choices were void of God. Let's look at number two. They were continually vile in their hearts. Vile in their hearts. Look down with me at verse number five and six of Genesis six. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Their hearts had become a putrid dumpster filled with rottenness. Moral rottenness. I remember years ago, actually right before I married Angela, I uh, worked for a temp agency and they assigned me to a warehouse where I did inventory. And uh, I worked alongside with a guy who was from the inner city and, and uh, he learned that I was a Christian and preparing to be a pastor. And he and I began to talk, pretty similar to the Kyle's situation back here similar work environment, and uh, Brother Kyle, you ever have anyone talk vulgar around you just to spite you a little bit, curse around you a little more just to spite you a little bit? How many here know what I'm talking about? People at work maybe act a little more vulgar, vulgar and vile just because they know you're a believer and they want to stick it to you. This guy began to talk about all kinds of sexual exploits and things that he had done uh, with his girlfriend and even other partners and, and just just to just to try to be a, a burr under my saddle, just to get under my skin. And, and uh, so he is going into gross detail, talking about these vulgar things he had done uh, with his ex-girlfriend and girlfriend and uh, uh, various partners. And, and I just sat and listened to him and, and uh, was quiet. And, and when he got done, I continued to be quiet. And finally, uh, when he kept prodding me, prodding me, I, I explained to him that the things that he was involved in were only to be between a husband and wife within the confines of marriage. And I'll never forget this. He looked at me with a very puzzled look on his face. And he said, I have never heard of that in my life. 
I have never heard of that in my life. That those actions are only to be between a husband and wife within the confines of marriage. He said, no one has ever explained that to me in my life. God bless you. Genesis 6 says that their th- the imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Many people wonder how they have gotten to where they are in life, but the truth is that your heart is void of godly wisdom and filled with the vileness of sin. It's so... Back up to Genesis 3. Eve eats the fruit, gives it to Adam. Adam eats the fruit. The New Testament explains that Eve was deceived, but Adam made the choice intentionally. God comes down to walk with them in the cool of the garden. They're hiding, right? They made up um, uh, some form of clothing that wasn't very modest and put it on. And God says, why were you hiding? And they say, because we were naked. Well, how did you know that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? Don't you love when God asks you questions he already knows the answer to? And uh, what did Adam do? He blamed Eve. What did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. You know, please don't miss what I'm about to say. This is such a vital part of the sermon. When you're not who you ought to be, it is very easy to point the finger at everyone but yourself. How many of you here that are married have ever had a big marital spat with your spouse and blamed the whole thing on your spouse? Everyone here that's married has done that at some point. Right? I didn't do anything wrong. It was all their fault. Right? By the way, Adam didn't just blame Eve. He blamed God. It was the woman that thou gavest me. You know what he's saying to God? If you hadn't given me her, I would have never eaten that fruit. You know whose fault it was in Adam's eyes? Everyone but his own. You know why we do that? Because we are vile in our hearts. We're vile in our hearts. Our heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us. Who can know it? The profundity, the, 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 our heart is so profound in its wickedness, we can't even begin to understand it. There's an old phrase we're all familiar with, garbage in. You're putting garbage in, you can expect to get garbage out. What happened with these people? They allowed their choices to lead them away from God. They allowed their choices to focus on those things that were only vile continually, and it led them to choices that brought grief. We're looking at choices that bring grief. Number one, say the blank there with me on your notes there. Number one, their choices were void of God. Oh, I couldn't hear you, right? Are you awake tonight? Are you filling out the outline? Let's try that again. Ready? Number one, their choices were void of God. Number two, they were continually vile in their hearts. Number three, notice they were corrupt and violent. They were corrupt and violent. Look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God looked down on planet earth, and he saw two things. 
that made him decide it was time to wipe, out, wipe off planet Earth and start over. The two things he saw, the first one was corruption. What is corruption? Corruption is a lack of integrity. Corruption is dishonesty. Corruption is the action of going toward ruin. Lack of integrity, dishonesty, going toward ruin. Now, uh, like most of you here, when I think of the word corrupt, sadly, the very first thing that comes to my mind is politicians. Right? Uh, find me a politician that isn't corrupt, and I'll find you um, a hard... That's a hard find, isn't it? Now, most, every poli- most everyone involved in politics is corrupt in some way. By the way, I don't say that to beat up on our politicians. Um, I had a guy on the airplane on the ride home uh, while we were going through, right before we went through all that turbulence. He asked me what I thought about this let's go Brandon phrase. And I looked at him and I said, I've been out of the country for two weeks. I, I saw one heading on that. I don't even know what that's about. And so he explained the whole thing to me. And he said, what do you think about that? And I said, I think we have a problem in this country where we've dehumanized people who don't share our political viewpoint. I think we have a problem in our country where we are rude to the people on the other side of the political aisle. I think you can stand up for what's right, but I think you need to pray for people who don't agree with you politically and or don't agree with what the Word of God says. Let me take a half a step back from that. I believe that your political viewpoints ought to be defined by your spiritual viewpoints. You ought to vote by the Bible before you vote by any other code of conduct. And you say, well, what if there isn't a politician that lines up with the Bible? Well, then you find the one that lines up the closest with the Bible, and you vote for them. Because, by the way, the lesser of two evil argument, well, I'm not going to vote for evil at all. Then you're not going to vote, because we're all evil. You with me this evening? And I think it's time we quit uh, dehumanizing the other side of the political aisle. Just because someone doesn't agree with your argument doesn't mean you need to name call. It doesn't mean you need to put them down. I'm going to call President Biden, President Biden, because he is my president. I, and, and those of you that don't like Donald Trump, when he was in office, you should have called him President Trump. And those of you that didn't like President Obama, you should have called him President Obama. Why? Because they, they, they are put there by God. Whether you like their politics or not, whether they're corrupt or not, you are to respect their position even if you don't respect their person. I know that's not popular with everybody in the room tonight, but I don't care. Amen. Because it's true. And it needs to be said. The Bible says we're to pray for our political leaders. When I think of corruption, oftentimes I think of politicians, because here's the truth. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. Our heart is bent towards sin. And sin corrupts. Sin corrupts. I want to ask you tonight, before you go throwing stones at a politician for being corrupt, how corrupt am I? How corrupt are you? You see, someone that is in the public spotlight, who's analyzed under a microscope, it's easy to pick them apart. But what if we were to put you under a microscope? Look at every thought you think, and every word you say, and every action that comes out of your life. I believe what we'd find is that all of us in here are pretty corrupt. Before we go pointing the finger at someone else for who we are today, maybe we consider the corruption within our own heart. But that's not the only reason why God decided to wipe planet Earth. It wasn't just because of their corruption, it was also because of violence. 
What is violence? Well, there's a couple of definitions. Violence can be defined as rough or injurious physical force, action, or treatment. Violence is an unjust or unwarranted exertion of force or power as against rights or laws. Psalm chapter 11, verse 5 says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Do you love violence? Do you love violence? I don't mean two guys getting in a ring with boxing gloves who equally agree to, um, uh, to, to, to a fight. I'm talking about someone who injuriously injures someone else. I'm talking about uh, uh, movies that are filled with violence and blood and gore. Are you entertained by that stuff? Do you enjoy that stuff? Do you love that kind of stuff? The Bible says that they were wiped off planet earth, that God wiped mankind off the earth because they were corrupt and they loved violence. They were corrupt and they loved violence. Boy, they had a problem with their decision making and their choices brought grief. The end result was that God repented in his heart that he had even made man. What does that mean? That means God looks down at the earth and he says, you know what, if I could go back and make the choice again, I don't think I ever would have even made Adam. That's how far off the rails humanity had gotten. God took the drastic step of covering planet earth in a flood, wiping out all of humanity. And before he found Noah, his plan was to completely end mankind on planet earth. But there was one man, just like those raindrops, one lands in the Pacific Ocean, the other one lands in the Gulf of Mexico. There was a raindrop that came down, and instead of becoming violent and corrupt, instead he made choices that found grace. We've seen choices uh, that bring grief. Now notice the second segment of the sermon, choices that bring grace. Choices that bring grace. Let me give you five thoughts below this here quickly. Number one, notice Noah's solidarity. Noah's Solidarity. Look at verse number 7 and 8 with me of Genesis 6. The Bible says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. Look here. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Everyone else was doing wrong. But Noah stood firm all by himself. Well, everyone else was destroyed because of their godless choices. Noah got to live. Um, put your eyes on the person that you want to become and then track backwards to where you are today. All right? I opened the sermon with a question. Who do you want to be in ten years? I think that was actually the second question. Who do you want to be in ten years? Ten years from now, who do you want to be as a person? Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea uh, for you, those of you in the room that have young children at home or children at home at all, who do you want your kids to be in 10 years? Uh, those of you that are married in the room today, who do you want your spouse to be in 10 years? To the husbands in the room, God has called you to wash and cleanse your spouse, spouse with the water of the Word, Ephesians 5. Are you leading your spouse to be who God would want them to be in 10 years? You see, we're to look at who we want to be 
and then look at where we are today, and then draw a path uh, backwards from where we want to be to who we are today, and then we are to walk that road. How many of you are familiar with Robert Frost's poem, The The Road Less Traveled? The Road Less Traveled. You know what the idea there is, that most people are like water. They take the easiest path through life. Can I tell you that if you're going to become who you know you ought to be in 10 years, who God would have you to be in 10 years, you're going to have to walk some hard roads to get there. Those are decisions you're going to have to make day after day after day after day. You're going to have to deny your flesh, and you're going to have to let the Spirit lead you down some paths that are, uh, that are at times lonely. And you know what? Noah made a choice of solidarity. He said, I don't care if the rest of the world uh, goes this way. I know that doesn't please the Lord, and I'm going to go against uh, the the grain. I'm going to go against the culture, and I'm going to do what's right, because it's right to do right. And because he did so, he found grace. God looked down on planet Earth, and he said, this world is filled with people who are impressive in their own eyes. This world is filled with people who are corrupt and violent. But there's one man down there named Noah. And I like the way he lives. Regardless of how unpopular he is in the culture, he's making choices that please me. Noah found grace. Number one, Noah's solidarity. Number two, notice Noah's sincerity. Notice Noah's sincerity. Look back at verse number eight. The Bible says, But Noah found grace. Where? In the eyes of the Lord. The idea of grace is that Noah was chosen to be the recipient of something good that he did not deserve. Noah discovered this grace. I I want you to hear what I'm about to say right here. Noah wasn't awarded because he was sinless. Noah was chosen because he actually fought the battle to live in a way that was appropriate in the eyes of the Lord. All right, let's get real with each other this evening. How many of you here would say, Pastor Lejeune, I have a besetting sin in my life. I'm not going to ask you to tell us what it is. I'm not going to share mine. I don't expect you to share yours. But let's just be uh, categorical here. How many of you here would say, Pastor Lejeune, I am close enough to the Lord where I know what my besetting sin is in my private life is something that I privately battle with. If you you know what that is, would you hold your hand up? You know what that is? Would you hold your hand up looking around the room? Okay, if you don't know what that is, then maybe you've got the Christian life figured out and I'll have you preach next Sunday. Amen? All right? You know, to become a recipient of God's grace does not mean that you have to win the battle against that sin every time. Can I tell you what it does mean? It means that you wake up every morning and you fight the battle against that sin. You may not win it every time. You may not win the battle every time. But when you fail... You pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, you apologize to the Lord, and you tell God, I'm going to work to do better, and through your grace I'm going to overcome this, and you press forward for the Lord. Noah wasn't perfect in an imperfect world. It wasn't like Noah stuck out as being this uh, this bastion of perfection. No, no, Noah had sin in his life, no doubt. He was made of flesh and blood like we are. And Noah failed, and Noah messed up, and Noah made mistakes. But while everyone else uh, accepted it and even celebrated their sin, Noah said, no, my sin is wrong. He confessed it before the Lord. He got up, he dusted himself off, and he said, I'm going to be as much like the Lord as I can be. Noah made the choice of living a life of sincerity. He said, I want to be right before God. 
I can remember being a young boy in a Christian school and uh, sitting at a lunch table or being in a locker room and hearing a dirty joke be told. I can remember laughing at those dirty jokes and then going home and laying in bed at night and feeling so awful and guilty that I had allowed those jokes to entertain me and humor me. And I can remember laying in bed at night and confessing that before God in prayer and saying, Lord, that was wrong. Going to school the next day and hearing another dirty joke and this time getting up and moving away from the table while everyone else sat there and laughed at the joke. My friend, God has called you not to be perfect, but He has called you to fight and battle to live the Christian life. And that's what we call Christian sincerity. Christian sincerity. Noah was chosen to be a recipient of God's grace, not for being perfect, but for being sincere in his faith. Choices that bring grace. Noah's solidarity. Number two, Noah's sincerity. Number three, notice Noah's spirituality. Look at verse number nine. Genesis 6, verse 9. The Bible says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just Man, he was a just man. The idea here is that Noah was righteous. That means he was consumed with doing right, having right standing with God. While everyone else was making their decisions based on secular things, Noah was consumed with pleasing God and doing the right thing. Noah was the same guy in private that he was in public. And I want to ask you tonight, are you the same person in private that you are in public. We all put off this persona that uh, we want to be a, a way we want to be perceived. We call that reputation. Your character is who you are when no one else is looking. Your character is how you behave when it's only you and the Lord. And the question this evening is this, does your reputation match your character? Does your reputation match your character? There should not be this large gap between our reputation and our character. I believe the reason why corruption is so strong is because spirituality has become so weak. Corruption is so strong because spirituality has become so weak. And I want to just ask you this question tonight. This is a loaded question. Boy, this is a convicting question. This is a question that will challenge you, maybe more so than any question you'll be asked all week. And here is the question. Are you spiritually minded? Are you spiritually minded? Boy, do you turn everything into a spiritual battle, a spiritual thing? You see, when we learn to think with the mind of Christ, boy, that sure disqualifies a lot of things from uh, occupying the space in our brain. Are you spiritually minded? You, you know, deep down inside, whether you're fleshly minded or spiritually minded. Who calls the shots in, the, uh, in that space called your brain? Does the Spirit of God decide what you think, or does your flesh decide what you think? Is your heart and mind filled with things that will matter nothing in eternity, or is your heart and mind uh, filled with those things that will alter and affect eternity and make you more into a woman of God or a man of God? Are you spiritually minded? Are you finding grace in the sight of God? The Bible says he was a just man. What does that mean? That means he was on the inside who he was on the outside. Someone once wisely worded it this way, 
who you are in private will determine what God does with you in public. Who you are in private will determine what God does with you in public. Can I just say this evening that the greatest enemy to Christianity in our culture are Christians who are something different on the outside than they are on the inside. Because the world can look right through that and see that person's not who they ought to be. Now, is a, a hypocritical Christian a good excuse to not go to church? It's absolutely not a good excuse to not go to church. It's a terrible excuse. How many of you here have hypocrites at work? Raise your hand if you know a hypocrite at work. You know what? You still go to work. How many think that right now in a Walmart somewhere in America there's some hypocrites walking around? I bet all of you go to Walmart in the next month. How many of you ever gone to a store and been mistreated by an employee? Some of you are that employee, amen? You still go shopping. How many of you have ever seen hypocrisy in a child or a spouse? You get where I'm going with this? But some reason church is on the chopping block. And Christianity is on the chopping block when there's hypocrites. To be a human is to be a hypocrite. How many understand that? How many with me? Before you go point the finger and call someone else a hypocrite, maybe take a long look in the mirror. Because we're all a hypocrite in some way or another, aren't we? It might be on a micro level. We're all a hypocrite on some level. So no, this idea of being a hypocrite is a poor excuse to not become a Christian. But can I tell you this very much? It is an excuse that many people use to not become a Christian. And I don't want to be someone's stumbling block by the way I live my life. Noah was on the inside what he portrayed on the outside. When Noah went home and was alone with his kids, they said, Dad is just as righteous at home as he is when he's out in public with everyone else while he's being made fun of. Noah was a just man. Was he perfect? No. But he did his very best to live a life of integrity. We see Noah's spirituality. Are you spiritually minded? Are you spiritual? You see, we make excuses for how we got where we are. Uh, are you all that you ought to be? Most of us would say, no, if, if, if I could go back and make some changes, I would be different than who I am today. And you know what? It's not a good idea to look at our past and dwell there. But how I got here oftentimes is dictated by bad choices and not other people's uh, uh, actions toward us, but our own bad choices. And we have to decide that if we want to get where we want to go, then we're going to have to be who God wants wants us to be. Number four, Noah, notice Noah's soundness. Noah's soundness. Look, look, look down at verse number nine. The Bible says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. Now, I did some research on that word perfect because in English we really only have one definition for the word perfect, right? You say, man, that, that, that's perfect. What do you think? You think perfect. I mean, it Without error, right? What does the word perfect mean? Well, that same Hebrew word that's translated as perfect in Genesis 6-9, that same Hebrew word is found in a handful of other places in the Old Testament, but it's not translated perfect. It's translated as the following set of words, all right? It's uh, translated in some places as without blemish or upright or without spot or whole or sincerely, or undefiled, or sound. Take, for example, Psalm 119, 
verse 80 that says, Let my heart be sound or perfect in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. Another way of saying it is there was no hole in Noah's game. There was no hole in Noah's game. He had worked at his Christian life and had done everything he could to make it foolproof. How self-aware of you of, how, of who you are in Christ? Can I tell you what we do? We look at each other. If I could be as good as this brother or this sister, if I could get my spiritual life to be at this level or that level, what did, what did uh, Paul remind us in, in uh, his epistle? He said, comparing yourselves among yourselves is not wise. You know what? I may never be the Christian that Mike Vara or Andrew McGuire or Jacob Okai or John Ordonez or any of the other men in the room are. I may never ever reach their level of Christianity. You ladies can look around at another woman in the room and think, man, I think of Joan Syrett. She's not here tonight, so I can talk about her, amen? I think of Joan Syrett and think, some of you ladies may look at her and say, I will never be as godly as Joan Syrett. Can I just give you a little secret? God's not called you to be as godly as Joan Syrett. You pick the most godly man in the room, whoever it is. God's not called you to be them. God has called you to look at him and become as much like him as possible. You start putting your eyes on others, then what, what are you really seeing? I, I look at someone like Jake Okai over here. What a great guy, right? And I'm not trying to flatter him, I mean it. I, very hard to see this guy's feathers get ruffled. He's always on top side, always positive, and he dresses really sharp, doesn't he? I mean, probably Mr. GQ in our church, right? Uh, just... Just top tier, the way he, he dresses. I asked Rose if she dressed him, and she said, no, he does that all by himself. If we ever start a fashion, uh, uh, church fashion here, we'll have him head that up. I mean that. I'm not, not, uh, not uh, teasing him. I, I'm not being sarcastic. I mean that. And uh, listen, I could start comparing my demeanor with his demeanor, and you know what I'm going to find is that there are things in, in this man here, this brother's life, that he has struggles with that we don't know about. That's true for every man in the room, every Christian in the room. God's not called you to be them. God's called you to be you, and God's called you to grow in the Lord, and God's called you to be the best Christian you can be in the Lord and become self-aware of where your own struggles are. We know about everyone else's struggles. Well, brother, brother such and such struggles with this, and sister such and such struggles with that. What do you struggle with? Where are your shortcomings? You know where your spouse's shortcomings are. I can, all the married people in the room, I can hand you a piece of paper and say, make a list of your husband or wife's uh, 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 weaknesses. Man, I'd have to give you three or four more pieces of paper, wouldn't I? You, you got theirs all figured out. Give the children the paper. Write down where your parents come up short. Oh, my goodness, would I not love to read those essays. Right? What about you? Do you know your own spiritual struggles? You see, Noah, Noah was labeled as perfect, not because he didn't ever sin. Noah was labeled perfect because he became self-aware of his own struggles and he worked to make himself better in those areas. What if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, write down your struggles? Would you be able to scribble out more than three or four words? Again, we know so well the struggles of others. What am I getting at here? We apply law to everyone else by our nature, and we apply grace to ourselves. 
Well, what we ought to do is apply the law to ourselves and learn to apply grace to others. Noah learned how to apply the law to himself. He said, I fall short here and here and here. And he worked and worked and worked and worked. And he worked at it long enough to where God looked down at him and said, man, this guy doesn't have hardly any holes in his game. I want to get to a place where I've been saved for 50 years. For me, that's in 17 years. I want to get to a place where I've been saved for 50 years. And I would love God to look down on me like he did Noah and say, this man is perfect. No, not that I don't sin. But this man has worked on every weakness in his spiritual life to a place where there are no holes in his game. If you're not where Noah was, can I encourage you to become self-aware enough to know where your own struggles are and to start asking God to give you victories in those areas? You say, well, Pastor, what are you really getting at here? Let's back up and look at the title of the sermon. How I got here, how I go there. Well, where do you want to go? I hope all of us here spiritually want to go to a place where we're like Noah. We're righteous in an unrighteous world. Well, how do you get there? You get there by making little choices each step of the way where God's leadership is first and foremost in your life. Number one, say with me here. Ready? Noah's solidarity. Number two, Noah's sincerity. Number three, Noah's spirituality. Number four, Noah's soundness. Let's look at number five. And lastly, look at Noah's Secret, Noah's secret. Look down at verse number 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. Read the rest of the verse with me. Ready? Here we go. And Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Where did Noah learn how to walk with God? Turn back to Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. Genesis 5 verse 24. It says there, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch begat Methuselah, Methuselah begat Lamech, Lamech begat Noah. That would have made Enoch Noah's great-grandfather. Where did Noah learn how to walk with God? He learned from his great-grandfather Enoch, who walked so close with God that God raptured or translated him to heaven. Neat little theological nugget here for you, those of you that enjoy theology. Enoch was raptured or translated right before the flood, the way the church will be raptured or translated right before the tribulation. Just throw that out there for you. I I thought that was uh, a neat little Bible truth for you. God was giving us a preview way back in the Old Testament. Now, Lamech died five years before the flood. Methuselah died the same year as the flood. Many theologians believe that Methuselah's name meant... When he is dead, it shall come. Why did God wait 120 years to send the flood? Because he was letting Methuselah die. Methuselah, I believe, was a godly man. I believe that Noah came from a godly heritage, and he learned from Lamech, who learned from Methuselah, who learned from Enoch how to walk with God. This was a heritage that had been passed down. What was Noah's secret? Noah's secret was that he was born into a lineage of family who had a deep love for God. And uh, uh, Enoch taught Methuselah, who taught Lamech, who taught Noah how to read their Bible and pray. And dad and mom, uh, what is the secret of raising children who find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Here it is. Sit up straight and tall. Write this down. When your children catch you reading your Bible and praying in private. 
When your children catch you walking with God, it makes a huge impression on them. Huge impression on them. You see, when your children see that your religion is more to you than just going to church and sitting through church and, and enduring a sermon and, and not really changing anything about your life, you just keep going and being the same. Listen, uh, we have Sunday night church and we don't have a children's program on Sunday night for one main reason. I want parents, and I don't see a lot of them here, and I've pressed and pushed and, and I'm going to keep pressing and pushing, but we want parents on the pew with their children next to them and we want the Word of God to be preached and we want Dad to nod his head up and down when the Bible's preached and when the invitation comes, we want Dad and Mom together to walk the aisle and bend the knee and make changes to show that the authority in their life is not me, it's the Word of God. And when thus saith the Lord says, and it's in contradiction to Dad and Mom's life, Dad and Mom come down and make a decision to make a change and they go home and they show the children that God is my authority and God is your authority. When children see that God is everything to you, boy, then God becomes everything to them. Noah walked with God because Dad walked with God and Grandpa walked with God and great-grandpa walked with God so much he was taken to heaven. Noah said, I'm going to continue the family secret, and I'm going to walk with God. I just want to say this in closing. How do you get there? You know how you got here. You got here by the choices you've made, in large part. How do you get there, wherever there is for you? Can I give you the number one item on the list to write down? Here it is. Keep God first in everything you do. You know what that means? That means you're going to read your Bible and you're going to pray every single day. Every day. Because God is first in your life. You know what that means? That means every time White Oak Baptist Church has a church service, you're going to prioritize being here. Because God is first in your life and you're not going to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Instead of being out chasing a dollar during a church service, you're going to be sitting on a pew letting the Word of God warm your heart. How do you get there? How do you become who God wants you to be? You get there uh, by loving God and loving your neighbor above all. You know, the rain came and the earth was covered with the flood, but Noah and his wife and his three boys and their wives were all saved from that flood. Why? They're like those raindrops falling down uh, uh, over the Rocky Mountains. While everyone else went one way, boy, they walked with God. They made the choices and went another way. Two things, and I'm done. Number one, just to reiterate, quit blaming others for who you are. You're going to end up being, at the end of your life, you're going to be an, end up being a product of your own choices. Number two, Keep God at the forefront of your decision-making. And you'll get there. You may not be there right now, but you'll get there. Amen? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, I hope that this evening your word is spoken to hearts. My prayer, God, is that you'd help all of us to look back over our shoulders a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and say, only by your grace. I've become who you've wanted me to be.
Lord, I know statistically 10 years from now, some of those in this room or listening to this message won't even be in church. Statistically, that may be the case, but my prayer is that you would help that not to happen to any of us. May we all fall in love with you and choose to be moral in an immoral world, righteous in an unrighteous world. Help us, God, to walk in grace, walk by grace, and excel in the Christian life through grace. Lord, help us not to make choices that bring grief. Help us to make choices that prove your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our uh, our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. As the piano plays, if the Lord spoke to your heart this evening, will you come and bend a knee and just tell the Lord, I want to be who you want me to be. I want to make choices that please you. I don't want to be like the impressive men of renown in Genesis 6. I want to be like Noah. I want to be a man or a woman that walks with God. Many have come tonight. Will you join them? Maybe the prayer tonight is, I'm going to quit pointing the finger at everyone else. And I'm going to start taking ownership of my life. thank you so much for your word. Thank you for moving in our midst this evening. We pray, God, that you'd help us to leave here determined to walk that path that's less traveled and to become who you'd have us become. Help us not to do it through our own strength because that would be failure. Lord, help us to mortify the deeds of the flesh and allow your spirit to quicken us. Lord, help us to follow your lead and your guide. May we be that blank piece of paper with our own signature on the bottom that's handed to you and say, Lord, you fill in the day-to-day details and I'll be obedient to who you'd have me to be, what you'd have me to say, how you'd have me behave. And Lord, may we be a generation of, in, in a generation of wickedness, may we be a church full of Noahs and Mrs. Noahs. 
that choose to find grace in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.